God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's, that is where it's very important for us to say what we mean by the word works. Because when we talk about this and when we talk about peace, what is it that, what's the immediate, uh, or, or nonviolence, what's the immediate objection? It's almost always, but that doesn't work. Well, it works if you understand, if you have a different set of ideals and goals that you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to build the biggest building and, and, and attract the most people and, and have the biggest church and look the most successful, no, um, uh, you're right. Um, helping these people it, and, and focusing, or for that matter, focusing on the senior citizens in your community that are, can't get out of their house, um, or um, for that matter, really uh, being about um, trying to grow food in an inner city place uh, where people don't have food. Now, that's that's that doesn't work. Um, if your primary your primary goal is to uh, ensure your safety and security and protect democracy in the Western world and and spread freedom throughout the globe, nonviolence doesn't work. Uh-huh. If, however, you think, and this has been my conclusion, that Christianity is about bearing the cross with Jesus to demonstrate a very different life that actually can bring peace to this world, that is living peace in this world, then those things are exactly what the kingdom is about. And to yeah, I mean, think of it otherwise how, how well, is a misconstrual. How well does crucifixion work to accomplish anything? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it gets you uh, dead pretty pretty slowly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the that's the whole point of the cross is that what works is uh, reversed uh, the the whole attitude. I mean, this this is things that we all can give lip service to, but in some way the logic of it seems to escape so many people that uh, that what we do is mirror in our Christian institutions uh, a pragmatic and a logic that is still given over to the same notions of uh, quantitative success. You know, the, I don't think that most people understand the provenance of the church growth movement in this country. Uh, it is, then, and by the way, you know, the, the whole megachurch movement is a byproduct of a church growth philosophy. While there's nothing inherently wrong with growth, church growth philosophy is by its very nature uh, a qua- set upon a quantitative sort of statistical success uh, that misconstrues the very, you know, uh, the, the more you give yourself over that to that, the more you succeed, ironically, the more you've undermined the very nature of the gospel, which never works in that way. Well, and isn't that exactly what Jesus was always trying to convince his disciples of? You know, when Jesus says, and Matthew uh, has him uh, three times over a certain period, over a certain uh, uh, piece of of his book, three different occasions, Jesus predicts his crucifixion, Peter tries to rebuke him. 
uh, or uh, um, and and they're always saying, "Oh, look, that doesn't work." What are you talking about? That that can't be the way this works. Well, even John the Baptist didn't get it. Now, I always think this is an interesting an interesting thing that happens. Uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And uh, I think here he is thinking, uh, boy, this isn't really what I thought was going to happen. Sends his messengers to Jesus and says, hey, are you the Messiah or what? I mean, when are you going to get started here? Um, and Jesus answers, well, don't you see that the blind people are seeing and the, and the people who are hungry have food and the lame are walking? Um, go back and tell them that. Um, and, and, yeah, by the way, he's also going to have to stay there. Um, yeah, being in prison isn't the way this works. But what we're, again, the church growth movement, what we're seeing in the, and I think what we've experienced in the Christian colleges is very much the, the disease of this very worldly idea about what is success. Um, we're thinking we can use power and the worldly ideas about success um, where it's got to be big and it's got to be huge. And, of course, we've in our culture, we should have been learning by now that big and huge is not sustainable. Um, this is the same thinking that caused the housing market crash in 2008. Um, this build, 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 get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. When Jesus said, well, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It's a very small thing that's insignificant. It, looks like if you sneezed, you'd just blow it away. And yet it has the power to uproot the whole garden, the, the whole world. Uh, this is, in my mind, what I feel like um, we're kind of trying to do with the Plowshares uh, initiative here, is that it's uh, forging Plowshares is about, on a very, on a very mustard seed level, trying to trying to to live out this peaceful kingdom in a in a way that's thoughtful and um, that claims to uh, have a response um, for the for the world that we live in to the world we live in. I don't know, I don't know if you want to go uh, negative moment. Uh. <laughs> I'm always ready for that. <laughs> Uh, but I think we both, our, our own experiences reflect, I think, a broader, in other words, it's not just the prejudice of our, you know, the narrowness of our own experience, but in both instances that we've seen in Bible colleges or Christian universities, the turn to sports programs, the turn to, you know, football, basketball, uh, that uh, if you want to be successful, uh, there's the uh, mirroring and kind of the weak imitation of the secular university by the Christian uh, colleges, even Bible colleges. It, it is such a painful thing to watch as this disaster unfolds and uh, people you know, that are in charge of these institutions give themselves over uh, to these uh, notions of success that are tied not to the glory 
cross, but the glory of, uh, I think, secular entertainment. Yeah, um, you know, as someone who is an avid college basketball fan, I, I feel very torn about this part of the discussion um, because, uh, and, and I mean that I, I, I mean that only partially sarcastically. Um, the uh, as much as I love the as much as I I love sport, I do I do think that the Christian environment, the Christian college, is uh, is supposed to be about something very different. Now, sport may those things may have a, a, a place, but what I feel like I hear you saying is that um, what seems to what seems to be happening is in order to try to legitimize yourself in a secular world, uh, you have to value things uh, over and you have to well you have to serve two masters and um, and you know what we know what Jesus said about serving two masters it didn't work out. Um, so, inevitably, um, uh, let me use as an example, um, the, and I'm not going to use the name, but an institution I've worked with very recently, not the one I currently work for, um, but an institution that I worked with uh, very recently, um, the philosophy of our president was very much, I mean, and he said it in meetings, we have to get big or die. We've just got to get bigger, get bigger. At the time he was saying this, I was reading uh, Wendell Berry um, and specifically the book Jaber Crow. And uh, one of the things, uh, if you're familiar with Wendell Berry, he's been very um, um, uh, in, he's been very uh, focused on uh, the 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 growth of big farming and uh, what it's done to communities. That it's destroyed them. It destroys community, uh, and it doesn't really help us uh, with our health, uh, for that matter. It's, it ends up uh, being very destructive, and it's also uh, terrible for the earth itself. Um, and uh, the primary uh, negative character in his book is Troy Chatham, whose very farming philosophy is: you've got to get big or die. Get bigger. Get bigger. Get bigger. And it's unsustainable. Again, there's the term unsustainable is 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 inherent there. Well, um, one of the reasons it's unsustainable is because it doesn't take into account that this is about people. And uh, so the things that I remember being asked to do, I frequently found myself feeling like I don't think I can do this, and I got in quite a bit of trouble for saying I I don't feel good about doing that. Uh, I'm no longer at that institution. Um, well, I'll leave yeah. that at that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, uh, I, the, I think that you could take the our examples, our particular examples, and duplicate them many times over. Uh, that what is taking place in just for the very survival of small Bible colleges or other things is to t- attempt to not be, uh, you know, uh, t- the founding. You know, this 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 is a well traced thing that that you know any any kind of institution like this lasts about three generations, if that. 
in terms of the mission, the original mission of the institution. And so these institutions uh, are continually given over to forces, almost inevitably, uh, that are over and against the very mission that was the, the, their purpose. And so in some way there has to be a reversal. You know, this is, I don't know if you remember years ago, Harold Lenzel, was it, that wrote Battle for the Bible? He probably <laughs> Uh, may predate you. Uh, um, I, I, the, the, the title is not unfamiliar. Yeah. What he, but one of the things he did in that book was trace then just the you know all the institutions that they go through these cycles. And so what he I think missed is just the the very nature of uh, the the thing that they're founding uh, is dead set against. Uh, their, their purposes. And so what you're describing, uh, a sustainable living, a sustainable agriculture, a sustainable community, should give, give rise to a sustainable uh, education, one that is not a, uh, a departure from or imitation, you know, not a, a, rather an imitation of a secular education, but one that is Christian even then in its rootedness in community. And to do that, uh, and but here's the cost. To do that is going to require, and this is, this, is, um, this is where the resistance will be, to do that will require that we, we put something on the line. Um, because um, the, I think the reason we, we people tend to resist it is, well, um, my livelihood's wrapped up in that institution, uh-huh. and it's very difficult. You know, uh-huh. I had a man tell me, well, I, you know, man, I got to feed my kids. I got to feed my kids. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the the cross is not a very efficient way to feed your kids. Um, and yet, we have been told not to worry about these things. Now, I say that, I, I preach that to myself, because money's been tight for us this month, and there's been a few moments where it, it's been very discouraging. But, um, you know, doing the cross, this kind of smaller thinking um, is liable to... To be, it's going to be more difficult, uh-huh. ultimately. But that's why, and that's, I think that brings us back to why we need each other. Why this is a, really about community. Um, part, maybe part of the, the difficulty of the lie of, of our culture is it's so individualized that we're trying to make every person an, an uh, independent uh, which that's a lie in itself. We're not none of us independent. We're all dependent on. I mean, go to the grocery store to buy food. You know that that comes from somewhere. But we're trying to establish ourselves as independent people, um, rather than a community of people that that depend on one another for their own survival and to and to uh, and for their own for that matter their own meaning and purpose. Um, and yeah, maybe that's what in the last several months, you know, that as we've uh, uh, exited a traditional Bible college and uh, uh, gone into setting up plowshares,
there's a thing that that has just that kind of been really you know uh, emphasized or in our experience is just our basic dependence upon other people to to get us through in every sense of the word. Maybe that's the maybe that's the uh, if there's any good to come out of suffering, it's to recognize. Uh, uh, what what is really important, you know, and so people's security, whether it's financial or otherwise, can very often act as a kind of barrier to authentic community. So sometimes we need, perhaps, and I don't wish this my experience or your experience in uh, the travails that uh, you know with with uh, institutional uh, travails. I don't wish that on anybody, but if if we could have an appreciation then for uh, other people, uh, then I think we're down to an authentic uh, Christianity. Yeah, there is a there is no uh, there is no Christianity without bearing up under that cross and carrying that. And um, I remember uh, walking into a, a new lobby in a new building at a Christian institution, and uh, one of the vice presidents was getting ready to walk us through and share. And there was a cross, and the, they'd put a cross in the lobby, this beautiful fountain with water coming down over it. There was a cross, and he said, "See, why would anybody say we're not a Christian institution? There's a cross right here." If we were a, if we weren't a Christian institution, wouldn't there be a cross here? Well, I mean, uh, whooping a cross up on something doesn't make it Christian. But carrying the cross, and and that may mean um, uh, that's going to mean uh, the living with the difficulty of doing Christianity in a world that is hostile to the very things that Christ uh, uh, exemplified. Um, peace, uh, love for one another, um, community as a, over and against individualism, uh, service uh, and self-sacrifice over and against power. Um, those those things are always going, and you would think it would be no no big deal. I mean, why would anybody care that I don't think we should kill people? Well, nothing's going to make people angrier than saying, I don't think we should kill people. Um, that That is offensive. And uh-huh. that's going to get you hated in the world. And even among people that, that claim to follow Christ. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, it, that is ultimately, I think, what we're dealing with here. Is that the, we're bearing uh-huh. the cross of Christ. And it's not going to be easy. The logic of, in other words, this thing may escape people. That, that, that they may say, oh, well, I, you know, that you know, a little, a little peace is not a bad thing. But what, what, what they may be missing is that the very logic of a typical evangelical Christianity, with its notions of a violent God and a violent atonement and the necessities of nationalism, they may not, they may not be getting how all of these things are picture, uh, p- pieces of the puzzle that fit together. And so I think people almost intuitively, you know, just their gut reaction to uh, uh, nonviolence or peaceableness uh, is t- 
telling, not because people understand their own gut reaction, but in a sense, what they recognize perhaps, not intellectually, but in just their their feeling, is the degree to which true kingdom peaceableness, true kingdom Christianity, stands over and against everything that they believe, hope for, and trust in. Right. Right. That too too strong. No, I I mean it, it's, uh, I think it encapsulates that uh, there's there's not much really to add to that. Uh, that this is this is um, it's uh, it Christianity is not supposed to be something that you can just add on to your life, uh-huh. but it it is a complete reversal, a complete um, upheaval of an of your entire way of thinking. That it's uh, and this is really the essence of Christian nonviolence. Um, yeah, I mean, people are going to respond to it, say that doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work. No, of course it doesn't work. It doesn't work unless dying with Christ is the ultimate thing that you can do in the world. And um, dying is again not for me. This always comes back. I'm always running back to First Corinthians one. You know, that here's the the the. the the cross of Christ is ultimately what th- this is all about. And um, it, the rest of the world is going to say, that looks stupid, that's ridiculous, that that can't possibly work. And Paul comes on and says, yeah, you're right. You're darn right. It doesn't work. Except this, those of us who are being transformed by it know, it, that, know that this is the real power in the world to actually change things. Yeah, and we recognize it. Yeah, that there is a joy in life. There is just a basic uh, that's just there for the taking. That ironically, people uh, bent upon, uh, you know, refusing the peaceableness of God that's been given to us. They're missing out on a depth of joy, enjoyment, I, again, that I think a Bonhoeffer, but also Paul in prison, you know, can write about joy to the Philippians. Isn't that ironic uh, that those two things come uh, together? And so I, I think that uh, the profound appreciation for creation and God's good grace that's been given to us, channeled through then other people, uh is the beginning of an alternative subjectivity, an alternative way of being that most people just, uh, I, I'm afraid, have not fully appreciated. And it's, I think it's going to ultimately, I think that there, uh, a good friend of mine and I, we talk about this stuff quite a bit too, um, and every now and then uh, one of us will say, and, and he and I both stumble into it every now and then, how are we going to make things different? You know, how are we going to really change things? Um, well, uh, you know, as soon as you start thinking, uh, this is, I'm going to fall back on Wendell Berry, anytime you start thinking about big, powerful solutions, uh, you're really probably contributing to the problem. Um, you know, these things are not things that are going to change quickly. Um, these are the kinds of things that, again, you have to run to that mustard seed uh, uh, analogy. That that it has to, it's going to happen on a personal level, as people, I, I, you know, I, for, for me, a lot of it happened during my divorce. 
I, I've never been through that much pain. Um, that that there's a there's there are experiences that you have that force you to rethink your triumphalism and your sense that you know God did this stuff so I don't have to. And, you know, he's going to make everything okay and there's nothing for me to have to face. Um, well, no. Um, a great writer uh, and a wonderful book that I used to teach from when I taught Life of Jesus classes. Her name was Britta Miko. Uh, and it was in a wonderful essay called uh, Die With Me, uh, Jesus Picton and Me, and a book called uh, Stricken by God, with a question mark. Ah, uh, yes. Amico, go ahead. I, when you bring that book up, I, I'm always reminded that I discovered that book in Scuba, Scuba University. Not, at, uh, I'm in the wrong country. At the library here in, in Missouri, and I told you about it. But see, it's again my title reading. I read the title and thought, "Oh, I think I got it." Uh, Yeah, there was there are many great essays. That Brita Miko is a a novelist in Canada. Um, She she wrote this wonderful essay reflecting on how to respond to a a, a murderer in her town, a man who had been a serial murderer, and um, and there's a point where she says Jesus didn't die so that we don't have to. He died and said, come and die with me. And I think that that is, you know, what uh, ultimately Christianity really, uh, you know, at its heart. um, It is about us learning to die, because that's where life is, is um, uh, dying with Jesus to to experience, uh, to be be with him. I'm not talking about merely physically, but um, um, I'm I'm a a big fan of Gorman's book, uh, Cruciformity. Um, And he reads reads the cross in all of Paul's writing. And um, that that term, which, you know, if you type this into your word, your word uh, is cruciformity. It doesn't doesn't even recognize that as a term. But cruciformity for him is, a living a cross shaped life. And that is that is the ultimate. That's really what what uh, what he came to restore. Um, and that's and the only that, hope that we have. I I think that one of the things that I would hope that and I think that we do I've done in the classes that I've taught is that you can actually begin to run this down for people. In other words, it's sometimes in a in a format like this, it may sound fairly still abstract and vague, but the way in which the cross of Christ intersects then with our, you know, given expectations, undoes them, and reconstitutes who we are, we can actually run that down. We can actually describe that in some detail. So that very often when we think of atonement theory, we have these vague images that we really don't understand uh, what it is that we're even talking about. We just use the words and imagine that we're conveying information. Right. 
And so part part of the work that I've done is is to not to say that in some way we can dispel or, or you know uh, exhaust the mystery of the cross, but at least we should be able to work out the elemental part of it. So to to see how it is that on the cross of Christ the glory of God is revealed. Those two things seem to be normally juxtaposed, but of course the idea is that it's precisely in the midst of uh, corruption, the corruption of death, the moral corruption that is represented by crucifying someone, that it's precisely there that who God is and his defeat of those powers is revealed. And so, too, this is the, you know, the part here, if, you know, I don't, I'm always hesitant to pray about God revealing his power to me, because the place in which he reveals it most, where the glory of God is, you know, culminates, is on the cross, and so the degree that we find ourselves uh, in the midst of facing death or the reality of suffering, it's precisely there that God meets us. Yeah, you, uh, praying for God's will to be done. <laughs> uh, you, remember, you remember the last time Jesus prayed it. Uh, well, it just happened to be uh, the night before his crucifixion. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a terrifying thing to pray for. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like um, I feel like you know we've uh, we've kind of got a good sense of hopefully uh, uh what forging plowshares is what we uh, what we hope to do with it um and i assume that there's going to be more conversations like this uh, maybe between us so you, i'd say you've got some other folks that you're well, also working with um well uh yeah i <laughs> you you think i got a plan <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed talking to you and if something productive can come out of it besides just I get to talk to you then um, <laughs> then I can't see a downside there <laughs> myself so when we covered a lot